Back in John chapter 15 tonight, we covered the first five words of uh, verse 1, I am the true vine, and I hope that that means so much more to you and I tonight than it ever has, uh, that we don't just overlook that as a small thing, but we see that it is powerful. There's so much that is in view with Jesus declaring that he's the true vine. And tonight we pick up from that and we will read down to verse 6 and we will continue to see what he's teaching them as they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So follow along with me in John chapter 15, verses 1 down to verse 6. It says this, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we had uh, read and, and preached about this morning that you are the true vine and we are so thankful to be in that union with the true Israel of God, the Son. I pray that, Father, as we look at these verses tonight, that you would again lead us into truth. Lord, we can do nothing apart from your sovereign hand and we can't understand these verses. We can't uh, we can't have them come to life on our own being, in our own way, in our own uh, merit. But God, we need you to do that. So we pray for that. And we would see what you are conveying in these verses to your disciples here in this immediate context, but also to all who abide in you. And let us hear the warning for those who are not abiding in Christ tonight to the serious state of their souls. We ask for help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We know that I am the true vine. He means that he is the true Israel of God. And we won't expand on that again, but it was, it's a, a wonderful, powerful uh, few words there that have so much meaning. And, and, but we won't go there more tonight. We will, we will continue to push through to these remaining verses down to verse 6. And I said that to this morning that this is the last of the, the I am statements. There's seven I am statements, and this is the last in the gospel according to John. And what makes this one so unique is that he links the Father in this, in this I am. And there's importance to that. And look what he says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser would have been the one who owned the, gar, or the, the vineyard, who planted in the vineyard, who tended the vineyard. And when we look at this, we've discussed this, I believe we discussed it last week, where we look at the economic aspect of the Trinity. You remember the ontological aspect is the being of God, and then we look at the ontological, or the ontological is the being. We look at the economic, which is the roles within the Trinity. 
The Father sends the Son. The Son is obedient to the Father. He dies upon the cross. The Spirit is sent by the Father as the Son is interceding and asking for the Spirit to be sent. They all have different roles. They've all agreed upon those roles before eternity passed. And they're in perfect harmony, perfect agreement in their roles. And here again, we see that come to life in this statement where he says, I'm the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. What does this mean? Well, here's the thing that, that so often when we look at the, the triune nature of God, we, we understand the Spirit. We, you know, we, 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 we pray that the Spirit would bring these the words alive in our heart. The Spirit would lead us and guide us. He's the other paraclete. We, we think about the Son. We, we turn our attention to the cross and, and we talk about our union with Him and how He's laid down His life for us. And, and we talk about the Son. But so often it's the Father who gets overlooked. It's the Father who it seems to be, if you will, put on the back burner. And what a shame that is. Because here, the one that is overseeing the vineyard, overseeing spiritual Israel, is the Father. And what I want us to see here is this, this role that the Father has in the life of all who believe. He, he doesn't sit in heaven and just say, well, I'm just going to make sure everything's okay and I don't want to be too hands-on. No, it is the Father who is actively involved in all aspects of our life. And when we start to think about the eternal Father, to have such care and such love for His elect that He would be so active and involved in their lives. It's truly an overwhelming thought. We see the love of the Father upon all that will believe in this sentence, my Father is the vine dresser. And let's just look just for a few moments on some of the things that the Father does, the roles that He has. It's the Father who elects. We find that in multiple places in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, it's the Father who elects before the world was for the glory of His own purpose and His will. It is He who elects. It's, it's the Father who elects and then He gives to the Son. It's the Father who causes us to be born again. That's what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. It is by God the Father that we are brought to life and that we are born again. It's the Father who sends the Spirit. If you remember that Jesus said last week, we, He said that I will ask the Father and He will send the Spirit. Who sends the Spirit? It's the Father. He's the vine dresser. He's overseeing the vineyard. Who prunes the branches? We're going to learn about that tonight. It's the Father. So let us not for another second put the Father on the back burner. Overlook the Father. The Father is the vine dresser. His hand is actively upon all of those who are in union with His Son. It's the Father who has an active role in the life of all of the sheep. What an amazing thought that is. As He overlooks the vineyard, as he overlooks all that are in his son, as he overlooks all of the vineyard and, and he oversees their life, he is bringing them into the image of his son. He's pruning them. He is the one responsible for them being in the vineyard to begin with. It's the father. It's the father who's the vine dresser. He's the overseer of the vineyard. What a beautiful thought that is, that the father has such an active role in the life of all the sheep. The reason we're sheep is because of Him. And all that comes to pass in our life, 
all of our sanctification, all of, all of uh, uh, the help that we get from God, the Holy Spirit, all that is from the hand of the Father. And let us just understand that. Let us praise Him for that and let us begin to understand who the Father is. And then he turns to verse 2 and he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Let me, let me say this really quickly. What you're going to see here in the immediate context is you're going to see the comparison between Judas and the remaining 11. Because he's going to, he's, you're going to see this unfold here in these two verses, in verses 2 and 3. He says, every branch in me, and, and when we look through this, the words that we're going to look at tonight are in me, abide in me. It's this union. If you look through the New Testament, these two words we find in Christ. It is union with Him that all this is possible. It is union with Him. When we die, we are either in Christ or we're in Adam. Those are your two options. You will either die in Adam, in your fallen state, in our sinful condition, or you will die in Christ. There's no other options. And here he is talking about those who are Abiding in Him. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And we find this already beginning. It's in our union with the true vine, the true Israel of God, that we produce any fruit. If there's no fruit being produced, there's no union with the vine. In this immediate context, we find that those who are in Him that do not bear fruit, that is talking about those who profess to be in Him like Judas, but do not produce any fruit. Think about Israel. Remember, the true vine is the Israel of God, but the vine in the vineyard in the Old Testament was Israel. There were people who were in the nation of Israel, but they did not bear fruit. They were not in Christ, and judgment came upon them. It's very simple. If you're in Christ, you produce fruit because the fruit is being produced by the union with Christ, the true vine. And here we see this referencing Judas. It's pointing to Judas, and you'll see that when we come to verse 3. He says, every branch in me does, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's the vine dresser that takes it away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. And when we hear so that it will produce more fruit, the word that comes screaming off the page here is sanctification. You see, it's the Father, the vine dresser, who's in full, complete control, who's got His sovereign hand upon our sanctification. When He elected us and He predestined us, what did He predestine us to be? Conformed to the image of His Son. The vine dresser. It's the vine dresser who's doing this. And he says, if you're in him, you will produce fruit. Because think about this. It's the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And only those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit can produce fruits of the Spirit. There are people that profess to be in Christ. There are people that profess to be in the visible church. But there's no fruit, so they're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you bear no fruit. If you're in Christ, you bear fruit because that's the will of God for the life of His elect is sanctification, growing in the image of His Son. And then he goes to verse 3. 
Remember, verse 2, he says there's going to be some that do not bear fruit, like Judas, apostates, if you will, those who claim to be in Christ, claim to be, uh, they were Israel, but they were not true Israel because they were not in Christ. They had no union with Christ. And these branches are going to be thrown into the lake of fire that are not producing any fruit. And you say, well, is there any other verses that would back that up? Well, of course there is. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 really quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23 says this, Beware of the false prophets, those who are in the church, but truly are not in Christ, claiming to be in Christ, but their fruit says otherwise, because they have no fruit of righteousness. That can only be accomplished by being in the union with the vine. <clears throat> who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So again, these are the people who profess it, the false prophets, those who look like they're in union with the true vine, but they're not. Because look what verse 21 goes on to say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are the ones who don't have the fruit. These are the branches that are dried up. These are the ones who claim me to be in him but are not. But he who does the will of my Father. What's the will of the Father? Sanctification. Who does that? Those who are in the vine. And the Father, the vine dresser, makes sure that that sanctification is an ongoing thing. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Not I knew you, you fell away. No, no, no. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Simple. Those who are in union with Christ they are the ones that are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They are the ones who will produce fruit. It is the vine dresser who will prune those that are in his son to produce more fruit, growing in sanctification. That's what the elect are predestined to, and that is what the will of God is for our lives. And those who are not, well, they never were with him. They will come and profess and say we did all these things in him, but they are not, and you know them by their fruits. Again, the immediate context is Judas. You'll know them by their fruits. And then look in verse 3 to contrast that. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Now stop and just go back with me just for a moment of time. Where have we heard that phrasing? You are already clean. We find that in John chapter 13. This is when he's washing their feet. And here's what he says to them in John chapter 13, verses 5 through 11. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not now realize, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. All the 11 there are clean because they're in Christ. They're true believers. But there's one who's not clean. It's the one who claims to abide in him. But there's no fruit. There's no sanctification. Because he's not in union with Christ. Judas hated Christ. There was no fruit and Judas will be one of those branches that are gathered up and thrown away on the last day to be burned with everlasting fire. You, you see verse 2 and verse 3 also, it goes back to J John 13. But you're clean already by the words which I've spoken to you. And then he says, how are we clean? Because of the word which I've spoken to you. It is his word that cleanses. It's his word that helps produce fruit. In the 119th Psalm, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, listen up. This is a great responsibility. You're talking about a heavy weight of burden on our shoulders. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Romans 10, 17, so that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And Perry, I didn't get to it this morning. I'll make up for it tonight. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. You see, it's the word that cleanses. It's the word that brings us to life, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, as that word is life and that gospel is truth. It's the word that brings cleansing. That's what he says. You've already, you're already clean by the words which I've spoken. He's talking to the 11 here, but then this, it, it extrapolates to all believers. We're clean through him. And just for a moment, if I can get technical, just for a moment. Uh, when we talk about sanctification, we, we really talk about two aspects of sanctification. And this is important. We have to, we have to get this because we're going to talk about abiding. And abiding comes in two parts as well. So with sanctification, there's, there's two elements that we look at. And when we talk about abiding, there's two elements as well. So you'll see kind of how they both go together. In sanctification, there is what we call an immediate sanctification or a positional sanctification. And there's a sanctification that we call progressive sanctification. Sanctification is to be set apart, to, to be set apart for a purpose of God. And here we come to the immediate positional sanctification. This is what happens in our salvation. That when we come and salvation is brought into our life and we are justified, it is in that moment that we are set apart for God. We are sanctified unto Him. And that happens in the moment of our conversion. We are set apart from God. That is immediate positional sanctification. But then through the course of our life to be conformed to the image of His Son, what has to happen? Progressive sanctification. 
It's not like we just are sanctified at the time of our salvation and nothing else happens. We are being conformed into the image of His Son, so therefore throughout our life of a believer, we will grow in sanctification, we will grow in holiness, we will grow into the image of His Son. That is progressive sanctification. So there's an immediate at our salvation, and there's a progressive all through our life until we are glorified in heaven. And abiding has the same structure. In the Greek word abide, it comes from the word minnow, which means to stay, remain, live, and dwell. So when we come and we are, we are justified and salvation has come to our life, we are abiding in Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, we are in union with Him right then and there. That is a union that will never be broken. That is a union that is eternal and it is permanent and it is the union to which we owe our lives. We've mentioned it so many times. the, the, The beauty of our union with Him and His Sonship, Jesus. We are in union. We've been adopted into His Sonship. We've been adopted as sons and we are in union with the eternal Son of God. We share in sonship. He's the only begotten. We're the adopted ones. And as the father loved the son, he loves us in the same love because of that union. It's that union that allows us to be co-heirs with Christ. It is that union to which we can cry, Abba, Father. It is that union that happens at the moment of our salvation. That is an immediate abiding in him. That's how we're spiritual Israel. We are abiding in the true vine. We are in union with his death. We're in union with his burial. We're in union with his resurrection. We are abiding, dwelling, living, and connected with Christ forever. But there's also different degrees that we can abide in him. The closer that we are, the more that we pray, the more that we're in the Word, the the more time of devotion that we spend to Him, the more we're closely abiding in Him. He's just said that it is through the Word that we are made clean. It is through the Word that uh, that we are pruned by the vine dresser. There's power in the Word. We talked about this today. How does sanctification come? How does does this pruning happen? Well, the vine dresser uses the Word of God to grow our, our spiritual walk, to let us learn the truths. It is through growing in, in, in knowledge of the Word. And you've probably, we can all relate to this. There are times where you feel, even though you're still in union with Christ, you feel like you're just a little more distant than at other times. Can we agree with that? Let's, let's just agree with that. But there are times when we are praying fervently, praying without ceasing, and we are reading and we're studying and we're, we're spending time with God and we're, we're putting an emphasis on Him, that there are times that we are abiding so much closer. We are abiding so much more intimately with Him. And it is in those moments that we are abiding closer through word, His Word and praying that more sanctification occurs. The more closely we are abiding in Him, the more that we are understanding who He is through the power of God Himself, the more that He prunes us, the more that we grow in sanctification, the more that we are producing the fruit. 
that He desires for us to produce. So you see, there's an immediate abiding. And then you ask yourself today, how closely are you abiding with Him in your prayer life? How close are we abiding with Him in His Word? It is through His Word that we're made clean. It's through His Word and through the Spirit of God that He prunes us to bring about that sanctification. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Let us resolve in our heart to just dwell so close to Him. Dwell in His Word. Dwell in prayer. Abide in Him. And the fruit will be produced at a more abundant rate. It's truly not a, it's not a miracle or it's, not a, it's a magic formula. It's just what He says. It's not a new thing. It's what He's commanded. You want to grow in sanctification. You want to be more conformed to the image of His Son. You dedicate yourself to prayer. You stay relentless in His Word and ask God the Holy Spirit to come and know that it's the vine dresser who will send Him and that will produce greater fruit in your life because that's the will of God for our lives. He says in verse 4 and verse 5, Abide in me and I in you. What a union that is. You're abiding in me. I'm abiding in you. There's a union there. We find that in John 17 as well. This union between Christ and His believers. There's the union of His sonship. And then we come into some of these verses that we mentioned today. They will crush every bit of pride. They should. This is a sobering set of verses that we come to. And you can just feel the weight of our unworthiness come to pass in these verses. You can feel the helplessness and the dependency we have on Christ and the Father and the Spirit just leap off the page here. He says, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. There's not one thing that we can do in our fallen state to do anything pleasing to God. There's not one bit of good fruit that you and I can produce in our unregenerate state. This is why those who are burned were never in Him. They were never in union with Him. Because outside of Him you bear no good fruit. This begins to speak of our total depravity. I mean, there's nothing good in us. There's not one righteous thing that we can come and bring before God Himself. There's not one good thing of fruit that we can bring to God and say, look, this is what I produced in and of my own self. Not one thing. We come with vile fruit. We come with degenerate fruit. We come with fruit that has no righteousness at all. And we come as dry branches in our unregenerate state and we have nothing to offer God that is pleasing. Outside of Him, we can do nothing. And then you start to think how that falls into line with every other thing in Scripture. It says those who are in the flesh in Romans 8 can do nothing pleasing to God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that repentance is pleasing to God? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. But you can't do that outside of Christ. You can't do that outside of the vine dresser. 
You can do nothing good. You can do nothing pleasing to God. There's no fruit that you bring. There's no fruit that any of us bring. And the only way that any human being ever produces any good fruit is because the vine dresser has taken you. And he, by his sovereign hand, has lifted you up and brought you into union with the true vine. And that's how you produce fruit that's pleasing to God because he's brought you to that point. You start to see that we have nothing to boast in of ourselves. In our fallen state, we have nothing to bring. We cannot please God. Our works are filthy. They're unrighteous. And he tells us, all who die in that state, the branches are collected. There's no fruit. They're dry. The branches are collected and they're burned. And you and I, that's how we enter this world. Unable to produce any fruit. And you ask yourself, how, if you're a Christian, did you get in union with the true vine? And we can simply answer it in two words. The vine dresser. He oversees the vineyard. He's the reason that you're there. And when he puts you in union with his son, in adoption with his son, for the first time in your life, by the power of God working in you, can you produce anything pleasing to God? Not because of you, but because of your union with the vine. What an amazing thought. What a humbling thought. This fruit is not produced in ourselves only through Christ. We're dependent on him to bear any fruit. And only those who are in Christ produce good fruit. And the fruits of the Spirit are those that the Holy Spirit indwells. Again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, before he lists the fruits of the Spirit, he tells the fruits of the flesh. And, and only those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit can produce any fruits of the Spirit. So listen to these fruits. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And James 3, 17 tells us this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Where does that come from? From above. The good fruits are from Him. They are a result of our union in the true vine. And then He comes. Just listen to this. And just draw your attention to the last eight words of verse 5. Read them to yourself before we read them out loud. I want you to feel the weight of it. John 15, verse 5. Read the last eight words. And I hope you feel the weight of that verse 
I hope you begin to feel how dependent we are upon Him. You must bear fruit or you will be cut down and burned. And the only way you produce fruit is you're in union with the vine. And the only reason you're in union with the vine is because the vine dresser had mercy. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you feel the weight of that? You can't do anything righteous, anything pleasing to God in your own fallen state. This is how we enter this world. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If that's not a verse that just destroys our arrogance, destroys our pride, and brings us to a place where we are on our face before the sovereign God, thanking Him for the mercy that He's shown to us by allowing us to be in His Son. This is the total depravity of man. Apart from me, you can do nothing good. And you can take it a step farther. We, we use this example all the time, but just go ahead and take a deep breath. That's a gift from God. You can't take that breath on your own. You can't walk on your own. You can't breathe on your own. You can't live on your own. It is in Him we live and move and have our being. We are dependent upon Him. I believe Paul says it best in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Stop there. Can you say the same thing tonight? There's nothing good that dwells in any creature unless God indwells that person and they are in union with the Son. The only good that ever comes out of any creature is the works that we've been ordained to do before the world was because we are in union with the Son and dwelled by the Spirit and those works are being produced by the sovereign hand of the vine dresser. How good we think we are sometimes. Stop and think about how futile it is to think that we can earn righteousness in our own merit. But we've all been there thinking we can do it, thinking we can have a great day and that just gets us over the edge to please God. We can do nothing pleasing to God. We can do nothing outside of God. And there's nothing good in us except Christ. Do you see why the anthem of the church has to be to God alone be the glory. You see why that has to be? And do you see why so many churches, it's all man-centered? Because they hate the Word. I heard it said one time, I don't remember who said it. He says that the, the anthem of the modern church is God love, or, uh, you are wonderful and God needs you. I come here to tell you tonight, we're not wonderful, and God doesn't need anything. The fact that He has us in his, his family is by mercy alone. God doesn't need anything. It's what Acts 17 says. He's not a God who needs anything, and we're not wonderful. The cross speaks of that, doesn't it? The cross tells us that we're not wonderful. The cross tells us that it is those sins that He took, they were ours. 
Nothing good in us. What a sobering verse. What a sobering set of verses we find here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're a Christian, all the glory to God. Your sanctification, all the glory to the vine dresser. You entering into heaven, all the glory to Him. Every aspect is Him. And then he turns to verse 6. And just listen to this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Again, I've said it. Let me just stop for a moment. That's every one of us. That's the state of every one of us in our, in our nature. That's how we enter this world. If you don't produce the fruit, you're not in Christ, you will be burned on the last day in eternal fire. That's the reality. But there's nothing good in us and we can't do anything on our own. So how in the world did we get here? By the mercy and grace of God. You can't bring your heart to life. You can't cause yourself to be born again. Your decision didn't bring your heart to life. None of those things are possible because it is only by the sovereign hand of God. This is a, this is a dreadful warning. We find verses that tell us similar language here in Matthew 13 in the parable. Verses 36 through 43, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so, let it, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Interesting there that we find all that are lawless. Do you remember in Matthew 7, it said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but you'll know them by their fruit. And what does He say to them? Depart from me, all you who work lawlessness. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of their father. How do we become children of God? Sons of God. Through this union that we've labored in chapter 15. Abiding in him. Which is only possible through the sovereign hand of God. And then we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 20. In verses 11 through 15, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Oh, 
Can you imagine standing before God Almighty, not in union with His Son, nothing good in you, unable to do anything righteous and being judged on your deeds? Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We just heard in John 15 that those who are not in union with the true vine, they don't produce any fruit because they can't. And they will be gathered up one day and burned in this eternal lake of fire. It will not be ending. It will be an immutable lake of fire. It will never stop. It will be forever and ever and ever. The Bible says the smoke of their torments will ascend forever. These are powerful verses. By the mercy of grace and of God the Father, the vine dresser alone, He's the one who oversees the vineyard. That's how we're in union with the Son, the true vine the true Israel of God. That's the only way we can produce fruit that's pleasing to God. And those who are not in Christ, they produce no fruit pleasing to God, but forever will be burned in the lake of fire on the last day. We have to abide in Him. It's in union with the true vine. But as we close, let me challenge us tonight to have more dedication, to have more zeal to abide in Him more closely? Do you want to produce more fruit? Do you want to be more sanctified? That's the will of God for your life. Hopefully that's our desire too. Well, we can abide in Him more deeply in His Word. That's how we're made pure. We see the truth of God in His Word. The Spirit brings that alive. Let us grow in our desire and our love for the Word. Let us abide in Him more deeply in our desire for the Word so that we can produce more fruit. And let us be more fervent in prayer so that we can produce more fruit as as accompanied by the Spirit of God as it's brought to life by the Word. There's nothing greater than being in Christ. And there's nothing greater than being so close to Him, producing fruit by His hand alone. And we're going to read next week that when we do this, guess what happens? Our joy is made full. The world is searching for joy. They'll never find it because they're not in union with the Son. But those who abide in Christ and those who continue to abide deeply in Him, their joy is so full. Let's think about the vine dresser tonight. How active he is in your life. Let us think about the true vine to which we are in union with. And let us think about the Spirit who brings those truths alive in our soul. And the branches that are in the true vine, they're being pruned by the vine dresser, by the Father, to produce more fruit. And this is the promise. We'll spend eternity with the vine dresser, with the true vine, and with the Holy Spirit forever. And as we mentioned today, I want to mention it again as we close. The nation of Israel was promised the promised land. But now spiritual Israel, in their union with the true Israel of God, we will inhabit the forever eternal promised land one day because we are in union with the true Israel of God, the true vine. 
So tonight, as we close, let us think about what he's saying and let us begin to be crushed by the weight of these verses and let our pride be demolished. Let us never boast in ourselves. Let us never boast in what we know, how we are in our walk with Christ. Let us never boast in anything of ourselves, but rather give, us, give glory to God. Because Jesus tells us an emphatic truth. Without Him, we can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, the vine dresser, we thank you. Father, that you are overseeing the vineyard, the spiritual Israel. You are overseeing us. Father, you are pruning us. You are watching over us. Father, we thank you for the the role that you have, the active role that is from you, God, as you are the source of all things. Father, let us understand our complete dependence upon you, that we have no union with the true vine outside of you, the true vine dresser. Father, let us in our pride be destroyed tonight. Lord, let us know that nothing in ourselves is good outside of you. There's nothing good in us. There's no fruit that we can produce. There's nothing we can do to please you outside of our union with the Son. So, Father, let us turn our attention, let us turn our worship to you and give you all the glory and all the honor. Father, I pray that our hearts would be stirred tonight to abide more closely than we ever have with you and your Son. Father, let us be found diligent in your word, diligent in prayer. Father, because there's joy in you. And Father, we thank you that this abiding in you is not a temporary thing. It's a permanent, it's an eternal thing. This abiding in you is eternal because we are in you. And that can never be undone. So, Father, let us feel the weight of these verses and let us look forward to the true promised land, the eternal promised land that spiritual Israel will inhabit one day because we are in union with the true Israel of God, the true vine. And without him, we can do nothing. To you be the glory, to you be the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.